I don't believe in free speech. I don't believe in free speech. I can't stand what they teach. I don't believe in free speech. I can't stand what they teach. I can't stand what they preach. I don't believe in free speech. Hello, everyone. This is my beautiful fiance, Eleanor. Hi, podcast fans. Maybe you could give us your background real quick on your experience with because you kind of got uh you kind of got canceled in a way from so you you went to like one of the best art schools in the country i went to two of the best uh art schools for photography which is what i was studying um columbia i i went to columbia college which is they have the best actual photography program in the united states saic is considered just one of the top art and design schools um and this was kind of early in the wave of nightmare wokeness um because i was there in 2017 for one semester and realized it was like sort of things were just starting to change i think in terms of like big you know everybody has to say their pronouns you know there's gender neutral bathrooms um they even had posters up like if you felt uncomfortable about um people eating things like um i think there was like somebody had raised the semester that I was there for somebody had raised an issue about how they felt uncomfortable being around cantaloupes and nobody there were all these posters saying if you're in this building you're not allowed to eat cantaloupe um so that things like that and what was the justification for that just because one person said like uh, cantaloupes trigger me or something I heard that somebody believed that they were allergic to them but it wasn't proven and they just didn't feel comfortable around cantaloupes so the whole dorm building that that person lived in they couldn't have cantaloupes you couldn't have cantaloupes in the class in the buildings that this person had classes in and there were posters everywhere with like giant red letters saying like don't have cantaloupe <laughs> which is just ridiculous oh my god i mean um, and i know I, I i know you've heard this a million times and i've even said this on the podcast before too but just like really quickly like you know where is my personal protection fucking like where secret service you know, to help me with all of my germophobia and hypochondria. Like, where is that? Like, I need people just running ahead of me going, sir, you look like you probably have a cold. We're going to need to clear you out of this area immediately. Eight damage is coming through. You know, like, where where is that? Everybody else is like, like I, I have a peanut allergy, so nobody in the in the entire school can have peanuts. Yeah. But tell me about, uh, you were telling me about SAIC and what happened oh, there. Right, right. So you started so, at SAIC when you moved to Chicago. Yeah, so I, I started at SAIC because I knew I wanted to do something with photography. I didn't quite get what SAIC was about. I did a tour before I went there, but I didn't get... The tours that they do are completely different than what the program is. They make it seem like you have... If you have a focus on something, then you can really, you know, get dig deeper into that. But really, you just have to take classes that are like, here's how to sew, here's how to use a wood saw, here's how to do this, here's how to do that. So I finally made it through the first semester, um dealing with like all these terrible critiques and just people not knowing how to talk about art people just you know turning in something like a chia pet that you like shave the the like underarm hair off of to talk about feminism and body image and stuff I was like oh my god um and then second semester I finally signed up for a class that I thought I saw it on the um, registration I was like this looks awesome it was um this like astronomy meeting modern art type class and I thought this is going to be really awesome you know the resources in Chicago are great we would probably go to the observatory it'll be so cool 
Um, I really like the aesthetic of the moon and everything. And so first class, um, we had to go around and brain. We got this assignment um, where it was to pretend like we went to the moon and we're creating a piece of art that was supposed to be something that we brought back from the moon. And so since um, I was there for photography, I had this idea that it would be neat to create like a little series of vintage style postcards, like wish you were here type of thing. Like somebody could have gone to the moon and gotten all these little cool black and white postcards um, and like handwrite the letters on the back of them, like explaining what they did on the moon. Yeah, that's awesome. Not super scientific, just sort of, you know. But it's really creative and you're in art. This is art school. Yeah, yeah. And so it was um, it was interesting, too, because normally in an art class like that, if you're given an assignment, you don't immediately go around the room and share your ideas. Um, A lot of art classes are sort of like you do the work and then you come together and talk about it and you talk about your process. But for this class, they wanted us to immediately share what we first like what our first ideas were and so they came around to me and I explained my little postcard thing and I said um I really like the imagery of the moon that came from the trip to the moon film by the the Millais brothers and which was 1903 I think could be wrong but I'm, I think it's 1903 one of the very earliest um, and just in the groundbreaking special effects film mm-hmm. yeah it's where they go to the moon and the rocket gets shot through the and they based like if anybody's seen Hugo that's yeah. like the Georges Melier um, uh, is, is that that film is and that guy is like that's the old guy in Hugo yeah it's, it's on, groundbreaking right? so every, I mean you think everybody yeah, too, yeah everybody it's, would know about it and it's inspired so many other things other than that Um, And so I brought that up and during class, um, immediately after I said that, my professor said, oh, we figured that this would be brought up, but we don't feel comfortable speaking about the film. We don't want to um, create an unsafe environment by bringing up the film. And so we don't think that your ideas for this are valid. And I was sort of shocked and I said, "Um, well, what (laughs) what is it that I that's wrong with the film and they explained oh at the end of the film they show the moon people as being savage when the moon people come out and they're like the moon natives and they're like what is it that you actually see in the film they're like what in my recollection of it they're like they're kind of jumping around with like spears or something and maybe they they have masks on i mean they're not the main point of that is that i was not drawn i didn't say oh i'm gonna make all these postcards with um like incorrect and offensive depictions of moon native. I just wanted to use the picture of the moon yeah, as an you're, inspiration you're just, for my you, own work. Your your post your art was not in any way in, like using or referencing that problematic imagery. You were not just referencing a film, and in the film there is there is a representation that some people find offensive. Not only is that imagery not allowed to be used, but the film cannot be mentioned. Like you mentioning, you using an image of the moon is going to trigger somebody because they're going to say, oh, the moon, the moon, that that's that George Melier thing. And that includes those pictures of natives. And that triggers me. And that, and I just remember that I'm living in a, in a, in a dystopian post-apocalyptic racist nightmare. So you can't even mention the film. Like you're mentioning the existence of something. You know, and meanwhile, of course, germaphobe me is in the background going like, remember when you mentioned computer virus a while ago? I had a panic attack because I remember that viruses exist. You know, like, fuck you. Who gets to count in this game? Yeah. So anyway, so they so what happened then? So they told you, well, you like you can't you can't do that project. Well, so they said um, during the class, like right after I brought up the idea, they said, um, 
I just they, they basically it was this married couple who were teaching the class um, and they basically addressed what I said. And they said, we don't want to we weren't we're not going to bring that film up in this class. We don't want to create an unsafe environment. Also, everybody in this class was like a white upper middle class hipster person because Very they're well going to pointing out they're going to SAIC. <laughs> None of these people are black anyway. Yeah. I so mean, they're all wearing the Black Lives Matter shirts. Yeah. So, you know. Um, but so they just say to you, we are not going to mention that. Like you were not allowed to, you can't say like, well, you know, I'm going to go ahead and hold my, like you, you didn't have the option. They said, you you are not permitted to speak this, to speak of this piece of art because we've decided that it's, that it's problematic. Right. Well, that was, that was immediately what they said after I said that. And then I, like, that was my first experience in college. I was like super, super shy and anxious over everything. And so I, all I said back was, um, what is it about the film? Because I didn't even want to, I was like on the verge of tears. My face was probably as red as a tomato. Um, and so then afterwards, um, after <laughs> class, uh, they came up to me and approached me while I was getting my stuff together to flee the classroom. And they basically said, um, you need to be more mindful of the things that you bring up because we are not trying to cultivate um, an environment where people cannot speak freely and people feel like they we don't want your classmates to think to feel unsafe i'm sorry and to be like that's exactly what they're doing is cultivating an environment where you can't speak for it. they're saying we don't want to cultivate an environment where the following list of people who are on the protected endangered species list um even though they seem to be getting a disproportionate a disproportionate amount of protection but what they're saying is you need to shut the fuck up because this is a free speech area another question worth mentioning would be like how does it make you unsafe to be reminded that a film was once made that had imagery that wasn't considered offensive at the time but is considered now? And so these and it's not like this is some idiot 20-year-old hipster kid in a coffee shop who is latched on to anti-racism or latched on to the trans movement as a way to feel special and find some meaning in their frustrated adolescent life, which is completely natural because that's what happens. You're all pissed off and angry and feeling like everything's a bum deal when you're a kid. And then somebody comes along, sorry, a kid, a teenager in your 20s, whatever. You're still figuring out somebody comes along and they go, how about this? You know? And so like it's, it's the thing is though, this isn't that person. This is your professor doing this to you, right. right? And the most the most ironic part of it was that everyone in the class turned around and looked at me and then asked me what film I was talking about. Not a single person in the class had ever heard of the film or knew what the professor was so upset about with me bringing it the up. The professor was just shutting you down because the professor, she... Had, uh, she and he. It was a married couple. Okay, oh, married. That's right. So they had already decided like this is an out of bounds. This is an out of bounds discussion. Yeah. And 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 then so then but then they the thing is to me that's really I mean that's bothersome enough obviously to begin with. But then they come to you after and they give you like the Lindsay Shepard treatment and get up in your face and make you cry and tell you you fucked up. Oh, you I need definitely to be cried. More, yeah, I know. You know, <laughs> I bet I cried a lot. And they, they're yeah, they're coming up to you and telling you like you fucked up. You need to be more mindful. You just did something that was very very thoughtless and you hurt a lot of people and you you're placing people. They're actually saying that you're making people feel unsafe. I talked about this on a recent podcast where they're. Um, they're giving you like this borderline personality disorder treatment. They're like fucking like just all of a sudden accusing you of all this – of having done all this heinous shit that you didn't even do. 
and gaslighting you. And you're like, oh, I just wanted to talk about that. I like this piece of art. And they're like, yeah, it's because you're a fucking racist. That's why you like this piece of art, because you're a fucking racist white girl. And everybody around you is like, is like, is like upper middle class, spoiled fucking white art students. Which is, who, which is the whole problem. Just to reiterate, like, when we talk about this, it's like when I talk about, like, what is so troubling about identity politics, it's like it's not, you know, it's, it's usually what – that's usually what we're talking about. You know, like when we're talking about the, 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 this anti-racism movement, mostly that's who you're talking about. So they broke you down into tears, and then you ended up basically dropping out of school because of it, didn't you? I yeah, mean, well, you know, I, I decided that – I mean <sighs> – in all my experience of going to art school and taking art classes at schools that are not art school, art school just exists in this weird or orbit of like pseudo intellectual yet absolutely narcissistic. It's like we're going to do this and this is right and everything else that you think is wrong. It's not intellectual. It's not challenging. It's not learning. It's just babysitting, basically. Um, a group of people who are paying, I mean, outrageous amounts of tuition to be babysat by people who are supposedly the best of the best artists. And they think that they make it seem like you have all these opportunities, but really you just have the opportunities that are given to you by the institution. And once you graduate, I mean, you know, you're on your own. That's kind of the the the, the art school trap. I mean, I went to Vanderbilt um, for an MFA in creative writing and fiction and it was like and yeah the whole the whole appeal of any mfa program is like i mean most people if you're anything like me if you're a writer you you know you already think you're amazing when you go into the mfa program and you feel like well i don't need anybody to teach me how to write okay and then hopefully you're wrong and people actually can teach you right in my case that wasn't the that wasn't the case no that was not my case either (laughs) because i mean i'm not trying to sound you know uh narcissistic but if you're taking an intro photography class and you're turning in 12 silver gelatin prints you made and they're being critiqued right next to a girl who went out and took pictures of the fountain in front of her house where they're all crooked and overexposed, <laughs> what what are you really getting out of That's that? That's how I felt when I got to, you know, when I, when I went down to Vanderbilt to do my MFA, they let in... They had like five, they had like, I don't know, that year was one of the early years in their MFA, but they had like 350 applicants or something, and there were um, only uh, three positions. They would let in three fiction writers out of like 300 or 400 or whatever it was. And I was one of the ones I let in. So I figured, you know, man, everybody get everybody down here is going to be amazing. This is going to be great. And it's just like, I was just instantly, day one, complete disillusionment. Like the fucking, most of the students just like... There were some that were good, and but most of them were just, just had nothing. What they had was like they just wrote like you're supposed to write, and they had and and the first day I remember like this girl came in with this piece of shit story, and she got done with it, and I just like I looked at the professor and I was just like, oh, this is gonna be good, because I was just waiting for the professor to just tear, just tear this story to pieces, and instead I realized immediately, oh, this is how it's gonna be. Like nobody's gonna, we're gonna make sure the important thing is that nobody's feelings get hurt. We're going to sit here and pretend like your fucking ridiculous, non-believable bullshit, paper-thin dialogue is fine. Because we can't make any qualitative judgments. We can only like, you know, like, 
who's to say what's good and what's not? Oh, I thought you were the professor and that was your job. Well, that was like 50 years ago, not anymore. Anyway, but the point is you go to do a program like that because you kind of assume that there are going to be, like if you go to SAIC, it's a very good school. And so you're counting on, it's very expensive too, and you're counting on cultivating connections and networks that are going to help you professionally. But like when you start making enemies like that, like that's a critical moment right there where you have two choices, which is you either bow down you know, to the new idol and you apologize and you get on their good side and then you know, they've made it very clear, like this is how you got to behave and this is how you need to think. And if you don't, like your school's going to suck in the first place and you're certainly not going to have any any networks to count on after that. So anyway, but so if that's like basically why you dropped out, you were basically, you've explained to me before that that pressure was enough to really make you feel unwelcome there. Yeah, I, I, it was not the place for me for a lot of reasons. And I think the, that conversation with that uh married couple who were teaching the class that just was really like this is not working out because if I had just not even mentioned that that was my inspiration for the photographs and then went to the critique I mean still like my artwork probably would have been more thought out and aligned with my own artistic sensibilities than most people in the class yeah um, I mean, SAIC is a wonderful school if you have no focus um, and you're interested in lots of different kinds of art, particularly like um, performance art or conceptual sculpture art, or modern art, stuff like that. But it's not a good school if you have any sense of your own identity as an artist. Which is so completely ironic because, I mean, that's like, of course, the opposite. I think a lot of people would agree that's the opposite of what the artistic spirit should be it shouldn't be conformity it should be the complete opposite of that so then so then after that you transferred to columbia college for a while and then i and then of course you transferred again because you really wanted to be studying english literature so now here we are a very roundabout way to realize that i wanted to study english and that (laughs) no true artist is going to be getting her bfa um, or their bfa (laughs) so (laughs) so then you and i came here to uh, Vermont to go to the University of Vermont. And now you're studying English literature and getting a master's degree. And today you um, had you had uh, another sort of a, sh- should we say like a sort of a um, bad flashbacks, you just, <laughs> bad flashbacks to the, the woke nightmare that is SAIC with a new art uh, nightmare. It's bad flashbacks, but at the same time, I'm looking back at SAIC and I'm thinking, that was not as bad. Because the you world know? has gotten worse. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, it's changed totally. I mean, in all in of my classes. Years or whatever it's been. Yeah. And basically all my classes now, you're expected to say your pronouns when you go. If they go around and ask you to introduce yourself, you say your pronouns. It's attached to basically everybody's um, email signature, except for, you know, a couple people, which are the better teachers. The transphobic ones. (laughs) But um, yeah, this is in a way, it's like my, I'm bookending my um, experience trying to be an academic, uh, trying to live in the world of academic art. Um, Because this is my final art class that I will ever, ever need to take. And your other classes, your English classes have been, some of them are okay. Some of them are kind of woke nightmares, right? But it's been kind of a constant. But I mean, I've watched you go through three semesters now and you haven't, you know, run into any direct confrontations like you did at SAIC, but you have, there have been many instances where you have made it, you know, it seemed to me that you 
you know, you knew that you couldn't really speak your mind. Like you were upset. There were plenty of times where you were like, oh my God, listen to this fucking thing that happened in class. But you knew there was no way you could complain about it or make an issue out of it. And meanwhile, everybody else, you know, people that are in the protected groups are constantly, that's, they're constantly making issues out of everything. And you are being expected to cater to that constantly. But there's been many situations where you have felt like, you know, this is bullshit. This sucks. I don't want to, this is not why I study English literature. This isn't what it's about to me. And yet you knew that you had to write the paper a certain way. You had to write it about this or that instead of what you wanted to do. And you knew that you couldn't speak up in class. You couldn't call the professor out. You couldn't, you can't go to the professor and say, this makes me feel uncomfortable. What you're saying, I really disagree. So now, tell me about the art class. I want to hear it. So, so today you went in, you get a non-binary Immediately uh, professor non-binary, who spends yeah. the entire class basically doing her own, sounds like personal platform their about their, sorry, doing their own personal platform about their gender identity instead of like teaching the class. To begin with. Yeah, begin we haven't with. even, I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg. It's, so then what happened? Well, so they did their little spiel about not being called Mr. or Mrs., which seems absolutely irrelevant in a um, college environment where you refer to your teachers as professor. Um, And then we launched into the syllabus, which was a wild ride. Um, It was the craziest reading of a syllabi that uh syllabus that I have ever (laughs) experienced and I'm not quite sure how much of this was is like UVM policy and how much of it is just projection from uh the professor but there was stuff on there that I have never seen on any of my other classes syllabus I read I always read the whole thing from the first page to the last page I always read all the stupid little things that are like academic integrity and here's like the counseling services and here's the writing center information I always read all of that just in case there's something extra in it that I need to know and I've never come across anything like this first off the syllabus was 10 pages and two and a half of those pages were dedicated to cultivating and being comfortable in your own identity and how this class and the school, which I, I really like, I don't know how much the school is affiliated with what these words were, if, if the professor wrote these or if it's copied off some, like we put this on our syllabus now, but I've gone to all my other classes for this semester. None of them have had this on it. It talks about how the school is just so invested in allowing every student to have their own individual identity, um, whether it has to do with religion, race, gender, just all of it. Really? I mean, as long as it doesn't make anybody else feel unsafe. Like that, that, that was like that little, that little trip to the moon thing was part of your identity. That was, well, that was a, that was a different school. I mean, you're able to have your own religious identity. So if you start talking about the Bible and how the Bible looks down on, um, on, uh, on homosexuality or something, that's going to be okay. No, of course not. That yeah. would just be well, hate I, speech. I looked around the room, um, at this point and realized that everybody in there, except for me and maybe one other person, have the same identity of being uh, queer, for sure. Um, But so the professor read every single word of this blurb. Well, they read every single word of the entire syllabus. Um, But they just painstakingly went through this whole paragraph, like a two-page thing about feeling comfortable in your identity. 
and then went on to say that at the end of the class, they were going to be handing out these little note cards and we write our name and any other information that we feel like they should know about who we are, including pronouns or any little personal details that are essential to our core being. As long as, but but you know, too, that you can't... If I wrote down, like, Eleanor McDowell, racist, you know, <laughs> well, if you wife, just said, house, homemaker. If you, you said, know? like, because, I mean, because obviously, like, you were, we're just saying this to, to exaggerate for effect, but, like, you're not a racist and you're not transphobic. Uh, not to my mind, anyway. Not, not, I mean, according to the actual definition of things, we have problems with these politics. But, like, if you said, for example, I am a woman... Right. That would make people unsafe. Like you cannot say, well, no, you, you're not. You can't say you're a woman. You mean you identify as a cis woman. I think that's what you meant, Eleanor. Well, no, I meant I'm a woman and I believe that women do need to have like, for example, some like women, uh, some 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 considerations. Like I, I definitely believe like we, we need our own bathrooms. I mean, like, like you can't like you know that there is no way even if you, I'm not saying that you want to make that argument. But if you did, you couldn't. And you know that. Right. So. Right. And the whole thing about like I the reason why I hate saying my pronouns when they go around and ask for that is that I they make such a big deal about how that's who you are and that's your identity, but I don't identify as she her hers. I identify as an a human being who is female who is going to give birth and breastfeed and not I she I think you mean chest feed. <laughs> not she I think she you mean a hers. female parent who's going to chest feed. <laughs> Seriously. No, but seriously, that's a great point. I mean, and what you're saying is that, like, they're the ones who put all of the focus on gender and on and on race, right? They insist on seeing the world through these lenses so that, like, you are defined by your pronouns or you are defined by your race or you're defined by your gender identity. And you are saying, I, ch- I don't choose to identify myself by these things. That's not what I am, which is like the old school argument was to de-emphasize gender. Like, don't think of me as, oh, look, a woman pilot. Right. That's crazy. I just think the whole world and society would be better if instead of identifying as your gender, you would just identify. I mean, the idea of identity should be more of who you are, not in terms of who what your gender is, but who you are as a person. Yeah, I mean, you These know, people what you're interested keep... in, how nice you are to other people, that would be far more. I feel like that's more what my identity is than the fact that's, that I'm a woman. Well, that is a great point. And they would say, of course, this is our privilege as super privileged people. And I would say, fuck you. I grew up uh, with nothing. What a shitty way to think of humanity. Like, what are you? You're a black person. What are you? You're a gay person. It used to be the other way around where it's like, I mean, that's the, the world that I grew up. I had plenty of gay friends. And the whole point was like, don't, you don't be like, oh, this is my gay friend, Bill. <laughs> you know, you don't say, this is this is my friend. Hi, I'm Bill. Like, I'm, treat me like Bill. I'm a guy. I'm not like, oh, you're the gay one, right? That's, right. Uh, that's offensive to me. But this is what these people have done is insisted that we define everything. And, and, and what you're saying, I think, is very nice, which is like, aren't there better criteria, mm-hmm. like humane criteria? And, and I completely agree because um, I, I would say what, what bonds us together as human beings are there are things that are much more important. You know, our mortality, our uh, ability to rise above that at times, our kindness to each other. 
compassion for one another, not like the color of your skin, your sexual orientation, or your gender identity. In my mind, those are the things that should be shut down. You know, those are the things that are problematic. Well, those are the things that divide us, whereas, whereas just our us. humanity is the thing that, that we all share. Exactly. And these people are insisting on maintaining those divisions. No, 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 no. I'm black. You're white. You will never fucking understand what it's like to be black. Okay, maybe not. But why don't you help me understand that instead of just telling me to shut the fuck up and go to the back of the bus, you know, metaphorically speaking. I wouldn't know, and I can make that joke because I never had to go sit in the back of the bus. You know, there is still racism. There is still homophobia. There is still transphobia. These things do exist out there. However, this is just divisive and, and it just it's polarizing. And That's bringing, what everybody on the left is doing and the people on the right are doing the same thing, like shutting everything yeah, down. Yeah, and bringing too much unnecessary attention to it also just makes it even more polarizing like the next part of the syllabus. So I don't have it, but I wish that I did. Um, because the second half of it, after the inclus inclusion and identity part, was a land acknowledgement part. This is bizarro. Is this a land acknowledgement where you're acknowledging that, that UVM is built on like uh, some, sort of a, some sort of a Native American land or Canadian uh like yes, thing. it is. It's acknowledging that UVM was built on and relies upon the land of the Abenaki people. I ho I doubt I'm pronouncing that right. I don't think that my professor pronounced it right racist. either. But <laughs> you racist but bitch. <laughs> it was <laughs> this this land acknowledgement was written as if it's like like a Nazi pledge. It's like the whole rest of the syllabi, even the part of creating your identity and feeling comfortable in your identity is written just, you know, UVM works hard to do this and we will do this. But this land acknowledgement part was like, I pledge to um, be aware of the natural resources that are um, helping me throughout my education. And I pledge to protect the land and um, I hereby salute the the lives of the the native americans who came before me and there and so but this is also this is something you're being forced you're being forced to say i believe these things i believe i acknowledge this and i believe this and i believe this actually the wording i believe this i, I believe yeah this. I, I believe i pledge i hereby it's, it's all very and this like, is a mandatory thing you have to sign or what oh we didn't sign anything um he read this or the the, prof the professor read this out and it was like by you know it's a syllabus thing you're agreeing to these things when you sign up to take the class so in a way like the, the, it's the same as like the academic integrity thing it's like oh right. you know in this class you're expected to not plagiarize right and so by taking the class and reading the syllabus you're supposed to just See, accept that. and that's a really interesting uh analogy there because when you sign up for a class you 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 know we're all acknowledging that, you know, we're part of a society here in this university and we all acknowledge that the honor code matters and is important. So as, you know, signing up for this class, I agree to not cheat on my papers and not plagiarize from the Internet. OK, that makes sense because we're used to that. They would say, oh, well, you're used to that. That sort of ethics code. So here's another ethics code that you did, didn't know about yet, but get with the times. That's what they're saying. To me, it's completely different. They're saying, like, by taking this by taking this class, you admit that you fucking murdered Native Americans. Right. Basically. Or something. Now, so there was another professor. Maybe you can look this up while I rant. Um, I don't know if it was at UVM or not, but it was something where uh, there was the professor 
you know, had a problem with being forced, because that's the thing, is that professors are being, you know, uh, in this case, the professor, uh, the school strongly encourages its professors to put this, um, the, the university, universities more and more will strongly encourage professors to put a, uh, a land acknowledgement uh, statement on their syllabi. And the professor can say no, technically, but of course, they they are under pressure and they know what happens if they don't that they don't you know serious things can happen right it's like <laughs> so it's like you don't you don't, also professors don't have to put their pronouns in their signatures but if they don't they're basically declaring themselves to be transphobic you know mm-hmm. uh and of course just your research and everything like if you're if you you, you want to just be like somebody who I just love studying literature without the you know I don't want to make all of my all of my studies, I, I don't want to like make every paper I write about Ulysses uh, be about racism and sexism. You right. Know, I kind of would think it would be cool to just do like some close reading and, and uh, you know, close Story reading of, of the life. parallels to the Odyssey. That just fascinates me endlessly, you know, without making it fucking all about like about critical race theory, mm-hmm. whatever. This is what this was a um, University of Washington professor, not University of Vermont. So it was University of Washington. Yeah. University of Washington professor. What was his name? Yeah. Um, let me see. I knew, I just read this the other day. I couldn't remember. Stuart Regis. Stuart Regis. Okay. But yeah, that just happened the other day. Interesting. So I guess that's becoming uh, more and more a thing. You know? I guess so. Well, like it's, I mean, great. I haven't had it on any of my other classes syllabi for this semester or last semester. So you went to class. The first, like, however long was all about your professor's um, gender identity for the first you know, so the first part of the class was about your professor's gender identity. The second part of the class was everybody taking and uh, pledging and pledging the oath of allegiance to uh, this to the fact that like we stole this land from Native Americans, right, or whatever. Yes. Um, oh, and also there was the um, making sure that it's a safe space for our identities. Oh yes, I forgot about yes. that part. Right? That was number two. And uh, <laughs> number two, and like it's funny. I mean, you said like a pledge, and that's that's you also just quickly going back to the um, why. You've said before, like you don't, you don't feel like it's right to have, you. You resent having to, having to state your pronouns when they said that. Like many classes you've had, where that that's it's not always this way, but in a lot of classes you sit down and you expect it by now. The first thing that's going to happen is they're going to go, okay, let's all go around the room and state our name and our preferred pronouns or our correct pronouns or whatever you say now. Um, there's like a specific specific way you have to like you always acknowledging with these subtleties of language that it's not this isn't my preference this is my true identity and what you're supposed to do is correctly address me you're not addressing me how I prefer asshole you're right. correcting me with it's just like we've changed it it's now it's not you know sex change surgery anymore of course or gender it's gender affirmation like we're affirming the, your correct gender identity which happens to be misaligned with your biological. Uh, anatomy, mm-hmm. but this is your correct gender identity, even if you're going to change your mind in a week, like it was correct for that week. There's also a term like, that was uh, thrown around uh, during the, a couple times during the class, first at the the beginning when the professor introduced themselves, and then during the identity part, and then at the very end when there are these little note cards are passed around to put our names and any thing that we're supposed to like let them know. I literally just put my name in my email. Um, uh, but there was this term that the professor kept saying, and they kept saying, um, in this class, I will respect your decision to not use your institutional name and use the name that you have chosen. And 
they kept referring to like your legal name as your institutional name. I love it when insti- when when these various uh, these various um, factions of victimhood uh, collide. Like for example, like what if what if your chosen name was something that was offensive to somebody else? What if you said my chosen name is Sambo? You know, I want everybody to call me Uncle Remus. My chosen name is Ebola. <laughs> yeah, like for me, I'd be like, oh my God, I can't be in the same class as this person. I'm having a freak up. My chosen name is Hitler. Yeah, my cho- there's, yeah, thank you. There you go. My chosen, my chosen name, name is, Adolf. is Adolf. A Hitler. Even Adolf, like, you know, but like Hitler. Chosen name is Hitler. You know, um, I just like the sound of it. I know it was a bit, you know, don't don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. God, it's like nobody gets that. Like Lucifer, that's another great name. Like, you know, man, all the good names got fucked up by assholes, you know. <laughs> but yeah, it's like having to say your pronouns is like a pledge of allegiance. That's this is a new way of doing the pledge. And, you know, and I, I get that you want to resist that. Like to other people that like like when I was in high school like I you know because I had this like really hippie dad who was like a Vietnam protester and you know because I'm older and I'm so old (laughs) you know so like you know I absorbed that so like I just refused to say the pledge and teachers would come over and say like you need you know Adam stand up and I would say no I don't have to stand (laughs) up you can't make me stand up and say the pledge and they'd say yes I can in my class you will stand in my school it was optional I never stood up and some people (laughs) would try to respect it some people would say like would get really mad about it and they'd say you will stand up and then some of them would say and so what I did is I struck a balance because even then like I was like you know I was all like, I'm not saying the Pledge of Allegiance that's fucking good, you know. But I still like had respected my teachers. So I th- I struck a middle ground, which is that I would stand but not say the pledge. Right. That was like the balance that I struck with my teachers at the time. Now I'm like, it's, you know, I, I just, what bothered me about it is like, you know, yes, I mean, I absorbed that sort of like, you know, the hippie thing uh, from my parents. But also I just felt like that kind of thing always made me feel like cattle. I always felt like, this like, you know, like this Nazi fucking indoctrination that we all stand up and just I pledge allegiance to the flag. You know, it's like it's very it's weird, you know, and it always bothered me. It always made me feel very, you know, like part of the, the, the like a gear in the machine. And there's something, of course, about like people taking an oath that they don't even fully understand or think about. Like you've memorized the words, but you don't even think about it. That's obviously that's problematic. And mm-hmm. and so here you are having to do the same thing. Like every time you, you have to stand up there and say, my pronouns are he, she. And it's easy. I think people have to start resisting that. Like if you don't believe in this bullshit, then don't fucking do it. Like if somebody says, well, go around the room and mention your pronouns, you can't do it. You have to take a stand because if you you if you, you don't believe it in your head, like if I went to class right now and somebody was like, okay, we're going to go around. Like if I had to go to a class or some meeting or something and say, we're going to go around and mention and say our pronouns, wouldn't it be hypocritical after everything I say for me to go, hi, hi, I go by he, he, him pronouns. Like that is just basically, it seems like maybe that's okay, but no, it's like, it's complicit. You're yeah. ma- it's, it's, it's aiding and abetting. Well, I, I always avoid saying mine. Um, I haven't had a class this, this semester yet where we actually went around and said them out loud. Um, I had one last semester where it was like, oh, go around and say your favorite novel you've read and your name and your, where you're from and your pronouns. And, and, and you that like gives you a it. good thing. You can just be like, my name's Eleanor. My favorite book is this. And I'm from blah, blah, blah. And you like, just, you like, just oh, don't. I forgot. Right. Yeah. But it's and a tough position. Like if they said to you, okay, and what's your preferred pronoun? See that like it's a tough position. Well, when a I was at Columbia, pressure. that actually did happen in my women's uh, sexuality class. Uh, they said, go around and say your pronouns and where you're from. And 
I just didn't say my pronouns. And my professor, who was a really great professor regardless, but she actually said, like, well, um, can you say what your pronouns are? Right. And you just said, I'm sure. At that point, I was like, that's a lot uh, of pressure. And it's an unfair pressure, too. I mean, would you call you call it the trans person and go, "Uh, what are you anyway? See, that's the point we're coming to is that like they are the ones insisting that we put all this pressure on everybody. But it's like. The difference is like, okay, if you're transphobic, then you would put all the pressure on the genitals. You say, what are you anyway? A man, a dude or a chick, you know? I mean, you know, like, okay, there's that asshole on one side. And then there's the other assholes we're talking about who are on the other side where it's all about identity. It's all about this perception-based subjective identification where they're saying, you know, how do you feel? Because that's the only thing that matters. And it's more important than anything else in this world. And all of your neighbors around you, like, no wonder everybody's such a fucking narcissist. Well, it's like that thing that happened in my uh, French class this morning when uh, I got called on out of the blue to to say what my name was. Um, We didn't, we weren't introducing ourselves. She just called on me because she walked past me earlier and heard me do like the Jim Appel thing. And so she called on me um, because she was going to write it on the board. And she said... um, she she said like do you she she wrote it up there with the l pronoun which is the female one and then she looked at me and she said oh do you go by she her right. pronouns professors have to do that now even if they think it's complete bullshit if you're going to be a professor and I was you like, have to do uh, that now i have hair that goes down to my waist i'm wearing a skirt and boots and i have boobs <laughs> so i think you can safely say you can safely safely put me up there with the l's but of course that's not the case anymore. And the professors, the professor can't safely put you up there with the L pronoun because there are plenty of, of, of biological females who would walk into that class looking just like you, hair down to the waist, boobs, skirts, the whole thing, and then become irate if you use the pronoun she. I've dealt with a lot of these people I mean, personally. I guess and I they could just have, keep going, they, they, they. And I you keep saying she because said, you're fucking looking at, you're calling it what it is. And it's a lifetime of, uh, not to mention like millennia of, of, a programming so cut cut some people some slack yeah. you know and if i was any other person if i was one of those people who's like my identity is my, are my pronouns i could have gotten completely pissed at so her you could for get assuming for that, that i was yeah. she her hers like, and then and then you go on and this of course this isn't a joke this is what happens all the time then you go on to social media and you talk about the traumatizing experience where a professor misgendered you Professor misgendered me in class just because biologically I'm female and I dress like a female and I wear makeup like a female. This fucking asshole professor just assumed this about me and assumed that they know me and they misgendered me and the the trauma that I've suffered because of that. And next thing you know, you'd be like demanding that this person be fired or in in the school, of course, would not back her up. If that's what happened, if you made that, if, if the pissed aunt student goes in and makes that assumption, makes that accusation – the school would just like next thing you know, the professor's in like sensitivity training, which you know? I would not do that. Of course, you wouldn't do that because you're not an asshole and you're not yeah. a fascist, you know, even though there have been things many times. And that's the one reason that, that you know, I wanted us to talk about this stuff on the podcast was uh, that, that you've had a, plenty of experiences that have upset you um, to some extent. Um, but, of course, it's never occurred to you even for a moment, I don't think, to actually try to make an issue with that of them because um, it's just not them. as i mean i again going back to the idea of like institutional names i don't feel like my i don't feel like i am who 
my pronouns or identity is. Tell me about your friend. Tell me about your tell me about your partner. Tell me about your wife. Tell me about your husband. Tell me about your girlfriend. Whatever it is. Um, like, what's the first thing you think about if you ask yourself, like, who am I? If your answer is like, I'm trans, then then you need to fucking look for better ways to identify yourself. And of course, that is that is. I mean, it's like if it was 1967 and they hate Ashbury, what are you? I'm a hippie, man. Like, right. This is what you have globbed onto because everybody needs an identity. And usually as an adolescent, you don't have one. That's the problem is that you're still trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. Well, you have the same one as everybody who's around you because you guys have all just latched onto each other. And it's it's usually and it's this collective individuality thing like join the herd and in that way you will finally – be an individual it doesn't make any fucking sense of course but and of course the thing is too that you you know you have to figure that stuff out how do you feel where do you come in on these issues and like you said yeah at first you come in where you you just where you're told that you're supposed to feel about how are you supposed to feel about these issues like if it's the 60s how do you feel about vietnam well if you came from a military family then you think hippies suck and you're going to go join, you know, the army. And if you came from some other kind of family, then you're going to become a hippie. And then later, like the thing is, folks, the hippies fucking grew out of it. At least most of them did. You know, eventually you grow up and you realize that, that you've got to start. You've got to def- you've got to find an identity that runs deeper. If your only identity is like, who are you? I'm trans. I'm black. I'm white. I'm, you know, like, what the fuck? That's your identity? You know, you better come up. I'm gay, of course. That's another one. And I have known plenty of people who are like that. They're they're sort of like being gay is kind of what defines them. And I do understand that if you are part of a minority group, you know, it is different. I get that. I acknowledge that. Like being, I think, of course, like being gay absolutely is a big part of your. It does define you to a large extent because just like for me, okay, what defines me? I'm not like, who are you? I'm not going to say like, I'm a hypochondriac. I'm a germaphobe. That's not what I would say. I would say a lot of other things first. However, it's absolutely true, as you know, as my fiance better than anybody at this point. Um, you can't, if you wanted to understand me and who I am, you can't understand that without understanding some of the um, mental issues that I deal with, right? I mean, you would agree about that, right? Like, if your mom said, tell me, tell me about your fiance, you wouldn't go, Oh well, he's a germophobic hypochondriac uh, who's massively OCD, and his father no, was a paranoid say, schizophrenic. I would say that you're the most amazing person who's ever existed. It's so hot and sweet and kind. But at the same time, you would tall. agree with me, right? Thank you. That um, please go on. <laughs> so at the same time, like I get that if you're gay or if you're trans, that's a fundamental part of who you are, and it influences every day of your life. How does it feel to walk down the street? And be you, you know, I can't, you can't just say, oh, well, just forget about being trans for a second. Forget about being black. You know, these things are important, but it can't be everything. And I think that's what we're saying. I mean, the same thing goes for if you're trans and if you're female. I mean, you walk down the street. I lived in Chicago for two years. You walk down the street terrified that every single person walking past you is going to have an edged weapon to kill you. Being cis. Female, being cis female, yeah. I mean, just being a human being, being is a absolutely terrifying. And it is for men too, a lot of times. Yeah. But especially like right now, you're speaking the experience of being a woman. No, living I, in I, well, Chicago. I said being a human being is absolutely yeah. terrible. I mean, you can 
the littlest thing can immediately just kill you. Well, you've had experiences. I mean, you had all kinds of experiences in Chicago with with God. I mean, I mean, you don't have to talk about any of that stuff oh that, any more than you want to. But I mean, you've told me about stories that are very scary, like men, like you, you know, just completely, you know, just not in a unsafe se- not in a weird sexual way. That sounds like weird. Oh. But no, no, no. I, he's talking about <laughs> you had so like, many experiences with random men in public no, places. No, 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 no. <laughs> He's talking about when I I was walking down the street, minding my own business, going to get a coffee, and a psycho man came out of a um, pawn shop and shoved me randomly. I was not walking near him. He came up to me, shoved me up in front of a telephone pole, started screaming in my face that he didn't like the way I was walking, and then told me he would kill me if I didn't stop walking like that. And this was in front of a crowded restaurant, a family restaurant. It was called like Family Papa's Pizza or something. Millions of families inside all watching the small girl wearing a beret and a peacoat get physically assaulted. Slammed up against a telephone By a man wearing basketball shorts and a t-shirt. We were clearly not together. And then he just walked away. None of those people got up to do anything. Everybody just sits there and looks in horror. And... You like how do you, the thing is like afterwards, how do you process an experience like that? Do you process it as a human being? Do you process it as a woman? Do you process it as, of course, people would say it probably wouldn't occur to you to process this as possibly being a result of you being straight or being no. white. Whereas other people, to be fair, of course, you know, to 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 keep this in mind, if you were trans, it would be reasonable for you to assume, did this just, is this a hate crime? Did this happen because I'm trans? If you were gay and obviously like, you know, like presenting in, in, in a way that somebody, it's reasonable to think somebody is somebody with some sort of issue is coming up and attacking you because of that. This person's attacking you because he's a fucking crazy asshole, but you're a woman. Like would he may I, he not would have, not done, have that done that, that if it was a man. I mean, there were other men walking on the sidewalk. People walked by us while this was happening and it was me in particular Mm-hmm. I just thought of that, I think, because, first of all, it's just important for you um, people out there to remember that, like, uh, people do have fucking problems. Like, uh, you know, here's my cis, straight, white girl fiancé. She's got no problems. Well, <laughs> here's a story for you. You've told me plenty of other stories. Yeah, when I about- was—I I actually was assaulted on the train, too. That—that uh-huh. uh, that was actually—see, I was um, helped by an innocent standard— uh, bystander, innocent, innocent bystander, cis white male who didn't try to didn't make any advances on me, just I made that sure story. that I got off the. I love that. It's like the only nice story about a cis white male that I've heard in five years. Yeah, you were on. Tell us, sister, you were on uh, a train. I was. I used to work in a movie theater, and uh, I got off work like pretty late, and I was waiting for the train to go back home by myself, and. Um, I was sitting on a bench because I was so tired of fucking standing for hours. And uh, this guy came and sat next to me and I had headphones on, like really big over the ear headphones, noise canceling headphones. And I was playing music and I stopped the music because I always did that. If somebody came near me, I didn't want to like not be able to hear them if they were going to try to talk to me or like stab me or something. So I turned my music off and this guy uh, sat down next to me, still had the headphones on. And he had this little like Subway sandwich that was like all like drippy and he was like crinkling the paper and he was eating it and he kept sliding closer and closer to me and I kept sliding further away from him. And then in a split second, he put his hand on my back wrapping around me and like pulled his hand down to my 
ass. And I stood up immediately and took my headphones off and just walked down the train platform because it was terrifying. Um, and he was like talking under muttering under his breath. And he followed me all the way down the train platform and stirred like standing near me again. Um, and I just kept like moving around and moving around. And finally, um, we were like the only people down there and it was really sketching me out. And it was like, it wasn't like I was like, I could have just left the train station, but it was like, I didn't want to have to wait again for the train and blah, 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 victim blaming. But, um, he, yeah, he then came up to me again, finally, and put his hand around me while we were standing up. And I said, please, um, do not touch me. I don't know you. And at that point, um, these two cops came down just to like patrol the station and I went and stood next to them but then they left because when they were down there the guy wasn't doing anything um but this other like skateboarding cis white dude was there and he saw the guy came back come back over to me and he said he I walked away again and he, I heard him say to her him like that girl is like you need to leave her alone and then he got on the same the guy with the sandwich finally got the message um, and the guy with the skateboard got on the train with me and uh, I don't I don't know which stop he was getting off at, but he sat um, in the row across from me the whole time until I got off the train and I got off the train and made sure nobody was following me. But so he like you felt like he was sit, he got on the train and sat near you to like watch out for you. Yeah. For yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, you could there's so many different train cars. If you're riding the train at night, you p- you typically pick a car that's not that doesn't have anybody in it so you can just sit by yourself that's in my experience um and he wasn't standing by me until like he noticed that the guy was clearly harassing me and came over and talked to the guy and then walked down the platform to stand near me and he never said a single word to me the entire time like he never said like are you okay or he was like oh that guy's like he never approached me at all he just made sure that i was okay wow yeah i'm over here making um you know I'm making faces about this, like, I'm making, like, I fucking kill this asshole faces about the guy with the sandwich, you know, doing this to, to, to you. Um, but very appreciative of this, you know, this other guy stepping in. I mean, like, you know, if you're out there listening, guy, cheers. Um, like, what do you know? Straight, uh, straight cis white guy. They're not all, all right. bad. <laughs> then he didn't even, like, he didn't even, like, try to, um, try to sexually assault you after that. No, not at wow, all. Wow, that's weird. Yeah. Because I've heard people have been telling me constantly that that's all straight white men ever do is like it's molest of, everything um, around them. It's they part just, of toxic masculinity. Yeah, that's that's that, that's what we do. Rape and pillage. That's that's what it, so that's a terrifying story. And I guess I thought of all that because it's like, well, first of all, like white women have problems too. Second of all, maybe you as as I mean, you just told that's just two stories off the top of your head about being assaulted and feeling very unsafe. So like, if you that aren't involved with me. I don't know if this will be offensive, but I'm not like, it's not like I was at this party and I was so drunk and this guy came over to me and was like kissing me and I started kissing him back, but I didn't want to. These are stories of me walking down the street at 10 o'clock in the morning, going to get a coffee and then coming home from work. Well, that is very offensive uh, to other people, not to me. <laughs> um, but it's, I mean, because I mean, yeah. It, it's it, not my it, trauma because it's, I chose it's never, it to be It's trauma. never a woman's fault if she gets sexually assaulted. However, there are things women can do to make it a lot less likely that they will get sexually assaulted. That's a fact. But acknowledging that is now recast as victim blaming. It's like saying like, it's your fault you got raped. Nobody's saying that. But it is true that there is a difference you know, that if you stop going to parties and getting blackout drunk and giving random men lap dances, 
it's a lot less likely that something bad is going to happen. You're telling stories about just trying to walk down the fucking street in broad daylight. Oh, did what you, else did you want to tell me about your? Uh, oh well, your I just class? I was just going to loop back around to the um, land agreement thing um, and just make a little quick comparison to what a college class should be and what half most of the college classes actually are because after reading the UVM Nazi pledge about identity and the land agreement um, or, or land acknowledgement thing um, about 20 minutes of the class were spent looking at this website again this is a, f- a photo class it is I will not photography actually but it's um, photo history it's an art history class and we spent about 20 minutes looking at a website on how you can look up what land was for which uh, native tribe. For, How it's much not, time? It's 10 not, minutes? Oh, 10, oh, 10 or 20 minutes? 10 or 20 minutes. What this the fuck does that have to do with the photography class? That's the thing. It doesn't have anything to do with the photography. It's, I mean, it's, it's the, a great, amazing resource. Like, I took this class on grief and loss last semester, and I had to do a presentation so you on... you deal with it out of class. Don't use class time for that. That's a disservice to people who are paying tuition to be there to, to learn about photography. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's a really cool resource, which would work really well if you were taking a history class, or you're taking an American history class, or geography class, or something. It doesn't necessarily have to yeah. do with um, photo history. But it's more important because you guys are learning something about like being better people, you know. That class was a total waste of time reading the syllabus, doing the activism thing. Whereas the other day I had my grad class for for British literature and the entire class from 4.30 to 7.30 was like using, doing close readings, like actually digging into the text on the first day. We spent like five minutes on the syllabus saying the syllabus is online. You can go read it. It has all the readings. Like he like said a real the, class would be like, the syllabus is online. Go fucking read that. We're not going to take the class to do this. You can read joke. the syllabus It just yourself. shows totally what a joke, especially art departments are now, because all it is is like, let's just talk about our identities and how we feel and let's not actually dig. I mean, we could have had a whole lecture on like 500 years of art history in the amount of time that we spent on learning like, about a your little... professor's gender identity and um, and figuring out how to like how to look up what tribe you were oppressing by sitting where you're sitting. Yeah, exactly. So that was that. And then we have um, all of these. Higher education, ladies and gentlemen <laughs> and others. We have all these uh, <laughs> these fun um, guest artists who are going to be coming in throughout the semester. And they are all, you can tell by their names, non-binary, you know, like somebody goes by the name like H and somebody by the name of like Stick and stuff like that. So I used to have a boss named Stick when I worked maintenance at Virginia Tech. Wow. His real name was Anthony, but everybody called him Stick, which was ironic because he was very overweight. <laughs> I don't know. I wonder what happened to that guy. He drank more coffee than anybody I've ever seen in my life, but it was like the worst coffee. Everything he bought, he smoked like this like first choice USA cigarettes that were like made out of sawdust and it cost like <laughs> like like 80 cents a pack or something. And then he did these giant cans of like, you know, you like, you know, USA choice uh, coffee or something. And, and they, they, you would open it up and it was like, also it was like sawdust. And he would make, he had this like 12 cup coffee pot in the, in the, in the office, the shop, you know, our shop where we'd meet up in the morning, reconnoiter after working. And then he'd make this coffee, one scoop for 12, for a 12 cups 
a 12 cup coffee maker, one leveled off scoop of, of sawdust coffee. And then he would just keep making them all day. And have this like, he had like this 32 ounce insulated mug and he would just <laughs> drink this weak, horrible coffee and smoke horrible sawdusty cigarettes. And that was his deal. And then Did he just, you ever uh, see him do the Mr. Destiny thing where he just took a ate a spoonful of uh, dry a coffee? A spoonful of uh, freeze-dried coffee and yeah. said, I got to have my coffee because there was no water. <laughs> uh, no, he didn't do that, but but uh, but I, I just love you for, for mentioning that movie. One of my favorite movies, Mr. Destiny. Some might say it's the worst movie ever, but it's like a it's – a, it's a, what do you call that? It's like a secret um, – like Legally Blonde or something. It's like a like your oh, like a guilty pleasure. A guilty pleasure. Yeah, <laughs> kind of like Pretty Little Liars. <laughs> Clueless. Clueless. Fantastic. I love it. <laughs> the Barbie movies. Barbie Nutcracker. I haven't seen those. Oh, we started watching them. You were very into them. You were like, I can't believe I'm watching Barbie Nutcracker on I am, I am my day off. all of this. <laughs> I, I remember that now. That's, it was actually good. And then you were like, Ah, let's turn it off. And I was like, I'm kind of feeling this Barbie thing right now. I don't know. Maybe it was. Something a little weird about my identity. I don't know. I was digging it. <laughs> so did we talk about uh, everything about your class? Was there any other details you wanted to get into? I think there's a person in the class that has a crush on me. Oh, my God. <laughs> because there's... I'm the only female presenting person, but there's this hipster guy who was kept staring at me, and I was like, please don't look at me. And I kept, like, putting my hand up like this. Does he have a mustache? No. Ugh, well, okay. At least he was wearing a sweater with elbow pads. That's a classic, you know. So is he like kind of like the bookish English kind of guy with the elbow pads? And, and you're he like, had glasses I'm sorry, and you, like a little dangly earring. He's like you but might very have. straight. He's too young, first of all. You like way guys. too young. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Eleanor's first crushes. Uh, Severus Snape. No, Alan Rickman. <laughs> Alan Rickman. Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons. Uh, uh, um. Colin Firth. Colin Firth. And Very of course, British. Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, uh, a la Phantom Thread Only era. Phantom Thread, Phantom Thread era. I got, he's got the, I'm getting his hair now. Got like my yeah, hair I'm really excited. Back, so that's cool. Yeah. That's, it's, it's hard to be a man. You know, it's like, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, man, my hairline is going back. My hair is almost completely gray now. And you're like, oh, I can't wait for it to go completely gray. <laughs> Being a man is the worst. <laughs>